morning. Well, we survived. Christmas is behind us. It's the house in shambles, a mess, but the family, the relatives are gone, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. We love them, don't we? But we are glad when they go back home. For some of you, Wives, this is maybe where you're happy. Fantasy football is wrapping up or is over. So some of you get your husbands back. Kidding. Um, well, it's 2014 almost, and we are looking ahead. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. My name is Stephen Elliott. I'm the pastor of high school ministries here at Grace. And uh, our senior pastor, John, he's away. He's in some much needed rest and relaxation this morning. So um, do pray for him, but uh, it's good to be with you this morning. It's good to open God's Word together. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, look at Philippians chapter 3. It's going to be where we spend our time this morning. And our, our main text is going to be in verses 12 to 16. That's where we'll spend a majority of our time, but we'll kind of we'll walk through most of the text this morning. And as I said, we're really going to, I think as we, as, we, as we really do each, each year, we tend to, you know, around this time, we tend to, to reflect back on, on the year that we're coming out of, and we tend to look forward towards, towards the new year. And we, don't we do this? We do a lot of planning. We do a lot of thinking about, you know, maybe many of us do resolutions. We think about vacations we're probably going to try and take or projects we're going to do around the house or in the yard or, you know, to our own bodies. Uh, you know, nope, need to work on that. Uh, you know, we, we, think, we think towards the future. And I think that this uh, text in many ways talks about, about looking forward and the idea of pressing on and pushing forward and looking ahead and keeping our eyes focused on what's in front of us, I think is really um, the crux of what Paul is talking about and really what he's trying to emphasize and trying to push his audience, his listening audience uh, and his readers towards. Uh, to give you a, a little bit of background to the to the text as a whole, which I think is important, the book of Philippians was, as I said, written by Paul, and it was written when he was in prison, actually, and it's uh, one of what we call the prison epistles. Uh, that and several of his other letters uh, were were written in prison, and despite that background, it's really one of the most joyful, one of the most encouraging letters that you can read. Uh, it's written because Paul was, was writing out of gratitude. You see the Philippian church out of, uh, heard about Paul's imprisonment and out of their love for him and out of a desire to encourage him and help him in his need. Uh, they took up a collection of a very generous financial gift and, uh, that, they, that they all contributed to and they sent it to him and it, it helped him, it blessed him. And and he's writing this letter to, to thank them, but he also uses it as an opportunity to encourage them, and he uses it as an opportunity to instruct them and gives them some guidance and some warning and some encouragement. And what we read in this chapter is, is a little bit of all of that. And so uh, just to, just to so, we, so we understand what he's really saying, to understand the context, uh, I'm just going to start reading in verse 1, and we'll... Uh, 
get some get some background. I've I've written out a, an outline of the chapter. It's on the other side of your notes. If you want to, you can kind of follow along with that, and you can use that in your own study of this verse in this chapter as well. I would really encourage you to do that on your more and more on your own. So Paul's letter uh, to Philippians chapter three, starting in verse one, he says, "Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord." To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Uh, this verse, this chapter may uh, seem a little weird at first, but basically to give you some background, in this, Paul is, Paul is warning his readers about the potential, the possibility that they may be infiltrated um, by, by people that we refer to as Judaizers. That's kind of the, the term that we've coined for them. But they're, they're basically Jews who come in and say, in order to really be a Christian, in order to truly follow Christ, not only do you have to accept Christ and, you know, receive him as your Lord, but you also have to continue to go through all of the Old Testament laws and traditions. So they were telling these non-Jews, these Greeks, that they had to first become Jewish in order to become a Christian. They had to go through all of the rituals to really get God's blessing, to really uh, get God's nod of approval, to be, uh, you know, to earn his favor. They had to go through all of the Old Testament traditions and rules and laws. And then in order, you know, when they did that, then uh, they would win God's approval, then they would be blessed, uh, you know, then, then they would be, you know, be approved of. He warns them about these people, uh, and this is something that he knew all too well. This is something that many of the Galatian churches experienced, and which is what sparked his reason for writing Galatians, because uh, he didn't want the Philippians to fall into the same, the same trap. And in, in verse 4, he says this, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. In verses 4 through 6, he uses himself and he uses his life and his past as a way of refuting their claims. He uses his experience, his badges, his merits, uh, so to speak, as a way of saying, listen, if you were to actually, if, if God's favor was to fall on those who were somehow, who, who were most obedient to the law, who held to the law most strictly, most legalistically, I would have God's approval head and shoulders above everyone else. He's, saying, he's refuting those who say Christ and obedience to the law are what win God's favor. He said if that, if that was the case, I would, be, I would have his approval uh, more than any of these guys. He's flashing his credentials, his medals, so to speak. And then, in ver then he writes verses 7 through 11, which I think is just... Uh, it's such a great, great section. It's one that we as believers, I think, should read often and really write on our hearts and really capture the idea of what he's saying. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So in this section, he points to the superiority of his new life in Christ. He points that the ability to know Christ apart from the law, apart from works, apart from having to earn his favor, the ability to know him freely by his grace— that came through the cross, he says that is far and above better than this effort to try and earn God's approval. He says that old stuff, that, that, that work on my own part, all of those things I did to try and earn God's favor, he says that is rubbish. Uh, that word, if, you're, if, you, if you have the King James Version, uh, is translated dung in the King James Version. It's actually, that is a very, very accurate translation. Uh, it is the, the Greek word skubalon. Very fun fact for you if you want to throw that out there. Um, but yeah, it is, it is just that. It is fecal matter. Uh, some, some may also use it as table scraps that you would throw to a dog in some ways that it's, uh, that it's used in, in the ancient Greek. Uh, but basically he is saying it is absolutely worthless. This, this effort on our own to win God's approval is nothing. Uh, he says, I, it is where I am at now in Christ is far better than that. And this section is, is the pinnacle of this chapter, and it's this attitude, this mindset, uh, this perspective that we as Christians should also have. We should consider everything rubbish, garbage, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ as our Lord. But then in, we come to the next text, which I think is, is really where I want us to, to focus this morning, because in it, I think, is a, a great encouragement and a great inspiration for us as believers. And he writes this next section to clarify what he just formerly said. He writes this section because he doesn't want to be misunderstood, you see, he doesn't want his listening audience to somehow think that he has achieved uh, through grace, he has achieved this, you know, this sinless perfection here and now. He doesn't want to be misunderstood that he is, uh, he is somehow some kind of super Christian, that he doesn't still struggle, that he is somehow perfect and flawless. And this is uh, verse 12 to 16. Follow along with me. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Again, he writes so that he's not misunderstood. He doesn't want them to think that he is sinless. He doesn't want them to think that he is, you know, somehow perfect. But he wants to write, he writes to clarify and to say, but what I do is I press on 
And he's writing that not so that they'll go, man, look at Paul, look at how he presses on. He, wants, he writes that so that they will be inspired to press on in their own lives. Your first point, if you're taking notes in your outline, is this, press on to know Christ more. Press on to know Christ more. Throughout Paul's letters, he occasionally, occasionally uses sports metaphors. He uses phrases and, picture, and word pictures to communicate his message, and this is one of those times where he uses sports to communicate that. When he talks about pressing on to win the prize, he's, he's capturing the idea of an athlete, um, more than likely a runner, who is, who is passionately focusing and moving and pressing on towards the goal, towards the prize. When he uses this word, press on, uh, he's using the Greek word dioko. And this isn't the first time that it appears in this section. You see, Paul also uses it in verse 6 when he says, As to zeal, a dioko, a persecutor of the church. You see, this word is used, obviously, like our, like our English words. We have different, we, ha- we have the same word that we use in different ways, uh, and it's used in different, in different ways here. But the word communicates passion. It communicates zeal. When you think of a, when you think of, of a, a persecutor, you don't think of someone who's kind of ho-hum in their beliefs, right? You think of someone who is sold out fanatical. We all know those, those kind of people, don't we, who have something that they are absolutely fanatical about. Maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a, a sports team, a political opinion, um, a belief about how something should operate. Uh, and we know that like when that's brought up in, the, in a conversation and they're in the room, you're like, oh, no, don't, don't bring that up, right? Because you know that they will be there for an hour, like talking your ear off. They are passionate about something. They are zealous about, uh, zealous about something. And Paul is saying, I used to be that person for, you know, my beliefs as a Pharisee. Now I am that person. I passionately press on. I am zealous to know Christ more and more and more. This word does not communicate the idea of mediocrity in, in no sense. When the original audience read Paul, read what Paul wrote, when they read that he used this word, uh, they wouldn't have pictured someone taking a casual stroll. They wouldn't have seen someone kind of skipping through the meadow, right? They would have seen and, and pictured a runner who was covered in dust, covered in sweat, blistered, but stone-faced, dedicated, focused solely on the purpose of winning, they would have pictured an athlete hungry for victory. When I was in high school, I believe it or not, I was an athlete. Um, and that is a very, <laughs> yeah, that's laughable. <laughs> um, I, I was a swimmer, kind of, and I really mostly did it for, like, the social side of it because my friends were in sports, and so I wanted to just hang out with them. And uh, occasionally, I would get roped into swimming the, the event, the 500 individual uh, freestyle. 500, la- uh, not 500 laps, <laughs> that would have killed me. It's 20 laps, 500 yards, 20 laps, isn't 2-0. Now, I swim two laps, and I'm like, well, that was a good workout. I'm done for the day. You know, I mean, that's a lot. Uh, but going into it, um, y- there's so many laps, and 
they, they have this thing where they have like this plastic board and it's got uh, numbers on it and you, you get a friend and they stick it under the water so as you're coming to the end of the lane to do your flip turn, you, you look up and you see they count what lap you're on. And so that way you can focus on, uh, focus on racing and not trying to remember what, you know, keeping count because I would, I lose count after like lap three because I'm singing songs in my head and, you know, thinking about homework and all this thing. But one thing I would, I would do, uh, you know, and other people, I would get up and I would look at, you know, the other competitors and I mean, they were like, like focused on winning. I would jump in and I would, my friends who would like be counting, I would get a mouthful of water and as I'd come up for a flip turn, you're supposed to just keep your head down and keep racing. You know, I would like stop and I would lift up my head and I'd try and squirt water at my friends as they were like counting and all of those things. You know, or try and like splash him with my foot or kick him and all, you know, all of that. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't passionate about winning. I was just racing just to say I did it. Other, you know, surprise, surprise, I never won. Uh, but but other, other swimmers, I mean, they were focused. They were dedicated. I mean, they would lap me multiple times after 20, 20 laps. Uh, it was kind of embarrassing. But... You know, but there's, the, what Paul is communicating is not that, is not that casual stroll. And unfortunately, many of us Christians are just walking through life and walking through our faith, and we're, we're just like that. We are just on a stroll in our faith. But Paul says, I am passionate, I am zealous to know Christ more. It is my greatest desire. Then he, he says, I want to know Christ. And this idea of knowing Christ isn't an intellectual grasp of the person's existence. He's not saying, I want to know God. Like, I want to, I want to know that he exists. He knows that God exists. He's saying, I want to know, I want to deepen my relationship with him. It's, it's just like as if many of you parents, as you know your kids, you wouldn't say, oh yeah, I, I know my kids. I know that they exist. Uh, no, you would say, I know them as, as in, I, I want to know them more. And I, I understand them, and I know how they think, and I talk to them, and I spend time with them, and my relationship deepens with them, or how you would know your spouse. He's saying, I want to know Christ more. It communicates a deep intimacy, a relationship, as a parent knows a child, or as a man or woman knows their spouse. Maybe you're wondering, okay, know Christ that's all well and good. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you think, I, I want to, in 2014, my goal, I want to I know Christ more. I want to have this passion. How do I do that? Well, let me ask you, if you, you know, if you want to know somebody more, how do you do that? Maybe you have a coworker, somebody that you work 20 feet away from, but you really don't know them, and you resolve in 2014, I want to know them more. Or maybe if you even say, I want to know my spouse more, or my kids, how would you do that? you'd spend time with them. You wouldn't sit down and say, all right, it's 1130. It's my time to spend with, with Jimmy this morning, and we have 30 minutes. Go tell me about yourself. No, you wouldn't say that, and then, you know, they're in the middle of the sentence. You go, oh, sorry, time's up. <laughs> tell me tomorrow. No, you, you wouldn't say that. You would, you would take the watch off. You would just say, you would just dedicate time without distractions. You wouldn't, you know, have the TV going in the background and be like, all right, tell me more about yourself. Uh, oh, wait, hang on. Shh, the news is on. And no, you would dedicate time just for that person where you hear them speak. You would love the things that they love. You would be interested in the things that they love. The people that they love, you would want to get to know more. Well, the Lord is, is no different. We don't say, 
All right, Lord, here's your 30 minutes, go talk to me. Uh, No, we would say, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Speak to me through your word. Help me to have a passion for the people that you're passionate about. Help me to love the things that you love about, uh, that you love. Uh, Help me to care about the things that you care about. I want to know you more. That's the hunger, that's the zeal that Paul is talking about. My challenge for us, for all of us, for this year is to press on passionately, wholeheartedly, zealously to know Christ more. We do that by spending time in his word. We do that by spending time among his people. Don't don't fall into the trap that Paul is warning the Philippians about because these these Judaizers, these people, they were saying, you know, in order to win God's approval, you have to, you know, you have to earn the merit badges, right? You have to do all of these things. You have to check off all the things on our list. And sometimes I think we're like that in our faith with the Lord. All right, Lord, I've done all the things. I've gone to church. I've read my Bible, da, 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 da. You know, no, don't, don't have that mindset. Come with the mindset of just, Lord, I want to know you more. Help me to know you more in everything that I do. Discipleship to Christ should drive everything else that we do. It should be at the heart of everything. It shouldn't, discipleship isn't some, like I said, some checkoff list, or it's not a, a Boy Scout thing where we earn our merit badges and we get our stamp of approval. It is an ongoing, it's a daily, it's, as Brian talked about, it is a hunger to daily feed on the bread of life. Your second point, if you're taking notes, press on because Christ knew you first. Press on because Christ knew you first. In the second part of verse 12, Paul explains why he is pressing on to know Christ more, why he's desiring to deepen his relationship with the Savior. And that is because Christ first and foremost made Paul his own. Press on to know Christ more because he first knew you, because he entered into a relationship with you. Paul eliminates this absurd idea that he and God are somehow partners in his salvation. That's what these, you know, these people were, he was, he was warning these people about because he's, he's saying these guys are going to come in and they're going to say, you and God are, are, are partners. If you do this, God will do this. If, you know, if you hold up your end of the bargain, God will hold up his. Uh, he's, he doesn't, he's saying, we don't play let's make a deal with God. We don't play you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. God's not like that. God accepts you by, by grace, through faith, freely, without effort, without merit, without work on your end. It's unearned. It's completely through the cross, through the grace of the Lord. He's saying you are not partners in your salvation. He said he knew you so that you can know him. Paul says that idea is ridiculous. The deal is is that the Lord first knew you and me. He did everything. He paid the price. Now you and I have the ability, the freedom, the gift of knowing him more and more. Who wouldn't want such an unbelievable gift? Let me ask you, where is your passion? Are you going through the motions? Are you doing what you know you should be doing as a Christian, doing enough to get by, but yet have no passion? Where is your passion? If you find yourself passionless, if that's lacking, let me ask you, do you kind of see God as a business partner that, you know, you've kind of done your end, he's holding up his end of the deal? Or does the the thought that Christ saved you, does his grace absolutely blow you away? That's where the passion starts. 
Do you really weigh what your salvation costs the Lord? Do you really comprehend and wrap your and strive to wrap your mind about around everything that he did for you? Do you strive to wrap your mind around his grace? Paul did, and it drove him to press on to know God more. Your third point, if you're taking notes, press on regardless of your past victories. Press on regardless of your past victories. In verse 13, Paul says that he forgets what is behind and he strains towards what is ahead. The context that he's talking about isn't forgetting about past mistakes or past failures. He's actually talking about his past accomplishments. He's talking about forgetting about the past things that he, he did well. He talks about how well he held to the law, uh, how, how legalistically he followed everything. And Paul says, I don't focus on that. I don't, that's not, you know, I don't, I don't remember the glory days. I don't think about those times. I focus on here and now. I focus on where I'm at right now. Have you ever heard the phrase, rest on your laurels? When somebody rests on their laurels, uh, it comes from, laurels was a, it was, they were a, a, a crown made out of leaves, and it was from ancient times, and ancient, it's also a sports um, illustration, and it comes from, in the ancient times, the, the winner of a race or a competition would wear this, this laurel crown, and uh, if we were to modernize that, we might say that you would rest on your gold medal or you'd rest on your championship ring, uh, which seems very, very uncomfortable. Laurels seem a lot better. Uh, but it means to be so satisfied with your achievements and accomplishments that you stop trying to improve. It's when someone gets first and they just let themselves go. They don't continue to push themselves on. They've reached a certain point. They become satisfied with that. They're, they're okay with the status quo and then they just, they stop striving. They stop pushing themselves. Uh, if you ever saw the movie, The Dark Knight Rises, pretty cool Batman movie. Uh, Bane, one of the bad guys, is he's pummeling Batman. Uh, he says this, he says, peace. I'm not going to do it in his voice. It's, although that's would be way cooler. He says, peace has cost you your strength. Victory has defeated you. And I think many of us at times get into that, uh, into that problem. We let, uh, for, for a while, we, we walk faithfully with the Lord and we think we've reached a certain point and we're good with that. We become okay with that. Let me ask you, are you content with where you're at spiritually? And I think none of us would actually say yes. None of us would actually say, yes, I'm perfectly content. There, a, part of, we would all, a part of us would say, you know, oh, I wish I could do this better. I wish I would spend more time with this or, or whatever, whatever. But I think that a lot of times we just use this as an excuse to, to not push ourselves, to not strive to know Christ more. The real truth is that I think many times we are quite satisfied with where we're at spiritually. But I think Paul did a good job of never resting on his laurels, never becoming satisfied with where he was at. I think he was constantly pressing onward, looking forward to know Christ more, to passionately fall more and more in love with him. He wasn't content to be satisfied with all that he had accomplished or how much he learned or how much he knew. He was always trying to improve himself, always trying to, to deepen his relationship and his walk with Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5? He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think that that happens first and foremost when we hunger and thirst after the righteous one. 
Folks, never be satisfied with where you're at, with, where, with your walk with Christ. Press on to know him more. Have a drive and a hunger to be more and more um, in love with him, to have a deeper and deeper relationship with him, to know him more. I think that those of us who are most in danger of falling into this trap are those of us who have walked with the Lord for a significant amount of time. Uh, we maybe who have served in every area of ministry possible in church, who have run the gamut, uh, maybe who have, who have read this text multiple times. You, maybe you have heard sermons on this before. It's easy to get in a rut and to just say, yep, been there, done that. Uh, I put in my time. I've got my stripes. I've got spiritual battle scars from, from my time walking with the Lord. It's easy to, to relax. It's easy to let ourselves go. It's easy to look back and just say, you know, I've put in my time. I've done my good works. It's time to let someone else step up. Uh, it's time for someone else to be passionate. Or maybe you just get busy. Maybe you wouldn't mentally say that, but maybe you just get busy. Maybe you get tired or discouraged or comfortable or whatever, and you look back and you feel like you've learned the necessary amount. You've, you've learned enough to get by, to not look like an idiot in the Christian circles, you know, in, you know, in conversation, or, you know, you don't have to look at the table of contents to know where to turn to in your Bible. You, you look good enough. You look spiritual enough. You've gone through the Christian school of hard knocks. You've served your time. Don't buy into that lie. Continue to press onward. Continue to look forward to focus on knowing Christ more. You'll never know enough. You'll never be good enough. You can always deepen your relationship with him. Uh, Frank Thielman, in his commentary on Philippians, says this, like a runner who knows that a backward glance at ground already covered will only slow his progress towards the finish, Paul says that he forgets what is behind and stretches towards what, is ahead, towards what is ahead. Believers, don't make that mistake. Don't say, oh, man, I've already learned so much. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm good. I feel like I can take a break. Press onward. Each day is a gift from the Lord, and each day is a day that he calls us to keep pressing onward, to keep looking forward. Finally, in verses 17 to 21, he points to the example of others, and he points towards our future in Christ, which is the prize. And he says this. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory and they glory in their shame and with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The last point, press on and remember the prize. Press on and remember the prize. Again, he points to the example of others, and he points to our future in Christ. Listen, after today, you and I are one day closer 
to eternity. Who thinks 2013 went by way too quick? Anyway, yeah, isn't it crazy? You look back and you're like, whoa, where did the time go? Who thinks the last decade went by way too quick? Seriously, doesn't 2003 seem like just yesterday? And you're like, that was 10 years ago. Uh, I looked at a picture of someone, I was with family yesterday, and someone pointed out a picture of me in 2001, and I looked, I'm like, oh my gosh, I look young. And then I think, 2001, that wasn't that long ago. And I think, that was 13 years ago. Wow. It goes by quick, doesn't it? Remember, each day is one day closer to eternity. I can't promise that each one of us will be here in 2015. You or I may be with the Lord in 2015. Press on today to win the prize so that when that day comes, whether it's next year or whether it's in 70 years, press on so that when that day comes, you will win the prize. You will stand before the Lord and he will say, well done. One more thing I want to, I want to encourage you with as you, uh, you know, think through resolutions, as you think through goals, as you think through this idea of pressing on, passionately knowing the Lord more. Uh, one thing that, that I've learned that really helps me, and I think it's something that Paul even pushes his audience to, uh, is to look at the example of others. I encourage you, read Christian biographies. Read about believers who have gone before you, who have captured this idea, who have pressed on day in and day out to know Christ more. Uh, there's two, two books I've read that I think are, are really great, and they're super easy to read. Um, I encourage you to, to get them. I don't know if you're a reader, but force yourself to do it. One book I've read is called 50 People Every Christian Should Know. It's called 50 People Every Christian Should Know. It's by Warren Wiersbe, and it's a story of, of 50 individuals who, uh, men and women who have walked with the Lord. Uh, each, each biography or each story of these people is only five or six pages. It's really, really easy uh, and very, very uh, you know, fascinating, fascinating lives. Uh, and I find as, as I read each one, it was just a page turn because each one inspired me in a different way and it's inspired me to know Christ more and to, to, to know him more in different areas of my life. And then another book, it's very, very well known. Many of you may have already read it, uh, but it's called Tortured for Christ and it's by Richard Warmbrandt. And it's about a, um, a Ukrainian man who, who spent 14 years imprisoned under communist rule for being a pastor, for being a Christian uh, in under communism, and it's just an uh, inspiring book, and it's an inspiring book because it inspires you to know Christ more, to live each day for him in order to win the prize. I encourage you to know, to not just look at Christ, but look at the examples of those around you, just like Paul says. Paul says, look at me. He says, look at other mature believers. Um, press on to know me more, or press on to know him more. Brothers, sisters, 2014 is right around the corner. Encourage you, challenge all of us. Each day is a gift. Press on to know him more. Let me pray for us, and then you'll be dismissed. And afterwards, if you want to come down, if you want to pray with, uh, with myself or one of the other pastors or elders and deacons, you're welcome to do that. Gracious Lord, each day is a gift from you. Each day is a blessing, and each day is a day that you have given us to know you more. Lord, help us to not live our days for ourselves, but help us to live our days hungering, thirsting to know you more. Uh, thank you for this day, Lord. We love you so much. and Help us and strengthen us as we long to press on to know you. Pray this in your name. Amen.
God bless you. You're dismissed.